I have a message tonight that is a must. And I want to talk to you about the consequences of sin. Because today I think people have uh, misunderstood holiness. And we all need to understand a few things that the Bible tells us about all this. Lift your hands for a second. Greg, please. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to show us now. Open our understanding. Take the scales off our eyes, Lord. and Help us to see the wonders of your word and the depth of your love. Help us understand, Lord, your beauty and the beauty of your forgiveness and your justice. We give you all the praise and God's people said amen. I want to I want you all <clears throat> to go with me to the book of Galatians just stay where you are in Galatians 5 and I'm going to just begin ministering and I'm hoping this is going to and praying this will really help especially uh, the younger people here, to grasp the truth I'm going to bring to you about the consequences of living sinfully and what it means. First, let me begin by saying in every believer, in each one of us, there remains the liability to sin. And the reason we all have that liability to sin is because our new birth, when we were born again, that new birth is not the removal of the carnal nature. The new birth is the impartation of a new nature, a spiritual nature a divine nature, but not the removal of the carnal nature. So when you were saved and I was saved, our old nature was not removed. Instead, we received a new nature from heaven, a divine nature, God's nature. And let's just add this. In each one of us today who is born again, there are two natures. There's the old carnal nature and the new nature in your life and my life. And the Apostle Paul talked about that very clearly in Scripture that there is that which we call the flesh fighting the spirit. So I want you to go to Galatians 5, and we're going to read together a few portions of Scripture that will explain that a little further to each one of us. In Galatians 5 and verse 17, we read, For the flesh lusteth 
against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And let's also look at two more scriptures here, James 4 and verse 1, where James writes, From, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members. And finally, I want to take you to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, which says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So the, the minute you, you and I were saved, we were not delivered from the old nature. God gave us, just pay, pay attention, look up here, I'm talking to you, okay? Why don't you listen to this? God gives us this new nature that now we have to feed. We have to feed the new nature to overcome the flesh. If we don't, the flesh will rule our life, possibly for years to come. So the flesh or that old carnal nature is not removed at the new birth. We have to deny it or crucify it daily, daily. That's the war that is uh, within us all. It's, 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 a, it's a daily war that the Word of God talks about and, and we read about throughout the Word of God, frankly. So Jesus said, you have to deny, you have to deny self. Well, why? Because there's a war going on. We have to carry the cross. Why? So we can win that war. We have to follow him. But this, this old life is very much alive and very powerful. Why? Because it is fed through the senses. It is fed daily. The world feeds us and, and builds that old carnal self. And that nature came in at the fall of man. When God created Adam, he did not have that nature we call the carnal nature. That carnal nature came at the fall. And every baby is born with that nature in their being as babies. And now they grow and they live under its control. Now, because this carnal nature is still in each believer, there's always the possibility of sin. Now, while this is true, the believer, you and I, are responsible not to sin. Because when the Lord died on the cross for you and I, and the minute we accepted him as Savior and gave him our life, at that moment we were set free from the dominion, the dominion of sin. Because this is something people deal with every single day. 
And I really want to help you to understand and, and, and live the kind of life we all are called to live. Or otherwise, there will be consequences in this life and the next. And the next. And people today dismiss this uh, truth of the Bible. Well, they say God is too loving to punish us. God is too loving to do A, B, C, D, and O. No, 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 no. He is holy. He is just. And those who sin will pay. In this life and the next life. And that is the danger. So this is not something to be dismissed. This is something very serious. Because the Bible says so. So when the Lord died on the, on the cross, we were freed. The death of the Lord brought us liberty from the dominion of sin. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Correct. But let me add, because this is not the whole story. Once we were its slaves, the slaves of that carnal nature. But now what has, what has been given to us is we have the power to say no. We have the power to say you have no right to control my life. The world cannot do that. Unbelievers cannot do that. They have no power to say no. You have power to say, no, I don't want this. I will not look. No, I will not associate. No, I will not allow anything worldly or sinful to affect my life. In 1 Corinthians 15, 34, it says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. It's our job to wake ourselves up. It says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. So, in our, in, in our old life, we were controlled slaves to the carnal nature we were born with. Now we are born again. But the carnal nature is not removed. God gives us a new nature, and now a war begins between the old and the new. And the old does not give up easily. And now the world feeds the old much quicker in the life of a new believer than he's being fed spiritually because he's still a baby. So when you were saved, your spiritual life was much weaker than your carnal nature. Eventually, as you began to receive the word as you began to be fed through the Holy Spirit, through the Word, you became stronger and stronger and stronger to say no. That's why a lot of people, they, they, when they're born again, they're not able to, 
to live right. They have a lot of stumbling when they begin, like a little kid, you know, when a little baby is born, he's got a stumble here and stumble. So do a lot of Christians. In fact, all of us have. Nobody is born again as a giant. We're always born again as babies in Christ. We're still trying to make it. And that's the time the Lord will help us. That's when he carries us. That's when he supports us because he knows we're weak. We can easily fall and lose it. Eventually, as the word of God fills us and we're around believers that strengthen our walk in the Lord and we're receiving from the Lord and his people and the fivefold ministries... And we are, we are now growing and growing. And we become strong enough one day that the Lord kind of lets go a little bit, just like parents do. He just lets that child uh, walk on his own a little bit and, and find out how to get up again. And now the Lord says, okay, now you're responsible because you're strong enough to be responsible to say no. Now the new nature is growing and getting mature, and so on. And so it says, awake to righteousness. You have the power to sin not. In 1 Peter 1, and I want to read one other portion here in verse 15 that will help you. I'm reading 1 Peter 1, 15. It says, but as he which hath called you is holy. Be holy in all manner of conduct. So there's a place where God says, okay, now you're strong enough to live holy. Why? Because God says you can. I've helped you to get to the place where you can. So when I got saved, I was 19 years old. I wasn't strong yet. I lived in a family of unbelievers, with a family of unbelievers. My mom, my dad, my brothers and sisters. Not one of them knew the Lord. So it was a tough time for me. But the Lord was gracious because at that time, he picked me up like a little baby and carried me. I didn't have to walk alone, you see. God picked me up and carried me. And I suddenly I'm among a lot of wonderful people of God and I got to know a lot of them and I was in church every night literally every night because our home was full of witchcraft I don't want to stay there literally witchcraft my parents and my family had two ladies come every day to our home to our home to read our 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 uh, what do you call that uh, yeah horoscope uh, palms and uh, whatever fortune they lived, we lived in that. We thought it was okay. I'm saved now, I'm out of that. Thank God. So I don't want to be around it. And now I'm among Christians and precious people who, you know, showed interest in my life and, and took me in and loved me in the spirit and so on. And I began growing and growing and maturing in the spirit. And I matured real quick because I had a lot of good people around me, a lot of support spiritually. And a few months after I got saved, 
kids from church invited me to a, what I thought would be a fellowship meeting. It ended up to be a filthy meeting of sexual stuff going on. I was in shock. I'm thinking that we're going to have a holy time. It was a very devilish time. And I walked out of that apartment on Don Mills. I'll never forget that. Because I'm thinking, how can these church kids do that? I walked out. I looked up. Literally, it was a beautiful night. The stars were shining. Not a cloud in the sky. Not a, it was a lovely night. I looked up and said, dear Jesus, I don't want this. I want you. And I felt this beautiful blanket of love and warmth come over me. So this is a few months, and I was strong enough to say, I don't want it. I was growing and not realizing I was growing. I was so hungry. I was eating everything I could lay hands on spiritually. I was reading books daily. I was literally the Bible. I was in it day and night. But I was reading books by the greats, by the church fathers and amazing people that, that, that God used in the past. And I became stronger and stronger, not realizing that old nature is still there. I didn't know that. I didn't know what I'm telling you now when I was 19. But we can live holy. The minute we say yes to Jesus, he gives us the power to say no to the devil and to the world and to sin. In Romans 6, 11 and 12, it says this. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. You can. Why? Because it's through Jesus, not through your own strength. When you give him your life and you surrender daily, and I want to emphasize daily. It's not a one-time surrender. Daily, through Christ, you can say no, and you can live right. Yes, you can. So it says, reckon yourselves dead to sin. Why? You can. How? Through Jesus. It, it says, through Christ, for sin. Now, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Why? Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under the law, but under grace. But we have a decision to make. And here's our decision. Verse 16. Don't you know, it says, know ye not, to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are to whom you obey. Whether of sin unto death or obedience to righteousness. So every day we are presented choices. As believers, to this day, as strong as I am, those choices are still before me till the, till the day God takes me home. The Lord will always say, come, and the world will say, come, and I choose who to go to. Every day, till we go home. Because the day we'll be free is the day we see the Lord from this carnal life. Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul said, who shall deliver me? And then he says, the Lord. He goes back to the answer, the Lord. Jesus will do the job. He'll deliver me. 
in this life, because of God's grace, He has given us the resources through His power to say no and to live right. It's all at your disposal. But what must I do? I have to appropriate it. I have to use it. I have to live it. I have to say yes and find a way to live it. It's a powerful devil out there. A powerful world of darkness out there. And it's pulling at you all the time. You can't escape it. You can't escape it. You drive on the highway and billboards have demons on them. Or somebody's car with a bumper sticker. I walked into an airport, an airport, and a t-shirt on a guy with Satan's face on it. You can't escape it. You fly on a plane and a guy is watching filth on the seat in front of you. You have to look through the window to escape it. We are bombarded today. Social media, all this mess we hear about. And more coming, by the way, through AI. Got ready for that one. That artificial intelligence, some of it is pure demonic. And it's going to be tougher for you young people than for me when I was young. I'm on the way out. You're on the way in. I'll pray for you. That's why I'm preaching like this tonight. I'm telling you that I found the answer. If you'd care to hear it. I found the answer to a life of holiness. Because I didn't live it at one time. I didn't even know it existed at one time before I knew the Lord. I didn't know it existed. And even while I was in ministry, there were moments of weakness. We all experience turbulence. I have. If you say you haven't, you're lying. We all have. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not even in us, it says. We all come to the edge of destruction and God pulls us back and saves us from our own misery and foolishness. So, the Bible is clear. God has given us his power and we choose to use it or not. And I'm telling you, it's available. The fact yet remains that all believers sin. In fact, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 7.20, there's not one righteous person on the planet. Now, this is quite a powerful verse when you really look at it. It says this, there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not period and we sin every day that's the fact because we live with weaknesses in our life worry is a sin 
We all worry sometimes here and there. Fear is a sin. Prayerlessness is a sin. And so much more that you don't even think about. We think about the big stuff. God looks at the big and the little stuff in you. When you're angry with your brother, you say something nasty about them behind their back. That's sin. The thoughts that hit your mind, sinful sometimes, maybe more than sometimes. We all sin. We don't decide, we don't plan it, but we do it. And the Bible is clear. All come short of the standard of God's holiness. All come short of that holiness revealed through his word. And in 1 John 1.8, it says very clearly. Can you put that on the screen for them? I want them to see it, to, to be reminded. Let me read it for you. I'm sure you know it anyways. The Bible is clear on this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not even in us. If we confess our sins, verse 9 says, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love this verse. We all need it. Now, there's a big difference. This is, this is a big headline here. There's a big difference between we believers and the unbelievers because we have been freed from the dominion of sin. The unbeliever is still a slave. Your, your friends who are not believers are slaves to sin and the devil and the world. They're not free yet. Without Jesus, they cannot be free. In 1 John chapter 3, I want to explain that to you now. This is a very puzzling portion of the Bible that some people struggle with. So we just read in 1 John 1, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But then it says in 1 John, another portion here, in chapter 3, verse 6, whoever abides in him sinneth not. You say, well, uh, one thing says one thing, the other. No, 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 no. You have to understand what this, what, what this means here. Let me just finish reading it and ex explains it. It says, whoever sins has not seen him, neither know him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous, that, that is the Lord. He that commits sin is of the devil. I hope you have this up there for them. Verse 8, please. I'm, I'm reading now. I'm going to read right through verse 10, please. So he that commits sin is of the devil, because the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever is born of God does not commit sin. Why? His seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he's born of God. Now wait, hold it. In 1 John 1, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But now in 1 John 3, it says something different, the opposite. Whoever is born of God does not commit. Now stop. 
It's the word commit that confuses people. That word commit means practice. Commit and commit and keep committing and keep committing and keep... You live, it's a, it's, it's a life of sin. Not an act of sin. So that word commit is important. Goes on sinning. Keeps committing sin. It's a practice of sin. It's the course of his life ongoing sinning. That's what that means. So if we say we have no sin, meaning we fail without planning it. We say something without thinking it. We do something without wanting it. Like in, in Romans 7, Paul talks about how he fights that too. But those who practice sin, live to sin, love to sin, it's impossible. Because it says that the seed that God puts, his, meaning his word, remains in them and they cannot sin because they are born of God. Now, all that means is you can't plan it. There's a big difference between sinning because you're weak and, and, and sinning when you plan to do it tomorrow or do it later today and keep planning. Let me give you some comfort here. A true believer, when that individual slips and falls and messes up, he will always repent because he is born of God. There's that conviction that says you did wrong. You go right back to the cross. You go right on your knees again. You ask God to forgive you and cleanse you with his blood. You may remember the name Larry King years ago. He had a group of preachers on his show. And there were three pastors. One of them was Evie Hill. Powerful man of God in Los Angeles. And he asked those preachers. He said, do you sin? And the first guy said, no. And the second guy said, no. And Evie Hill said, every day. He was the only honest guy on that show. And he explained beautifully how when God looks at him, he sees him through the blood. It was wonderful to listen to that man. But he, he, he understood reality. The believer hates it when it happens. The unbeliever loves it when it happens. That's the difference. The way you know you're saved is you hate it. But the unbeliever loves it. He lives for it. That's what it means, commit. They love it. They want to do it again. They live for it. They look for it. It's a practice of their life. One who is born of God cannot love it, desire it, and want it more. No, it's not in them. When they, when they fail or, 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 or fall, they repent and beg God to, de to deliver them. That is the Holy Spirit convicting them. That's showing that he is still in them to convict them. We've all been there. So anyone who loves to sin is not a child of God. The that's a fact. Anyone who loves it is not born again. You cannot be born again and love your sin. 
you hate your sin. You may still weaken here and weaken there and fall here and, and slip there and, and get up again and, and clean yourself up and, and repent. But the thing is, if you love it, you're not saved. You cannot convince me. It's not even biblical to love your sin and be born again. The unbeliever lives to please self. The believer lives to deny self. That's the difference. The believer grieves over his sin. The unbeliever loves it and wants to do it again. Now let's talk about this. And, and this is for the mature. You young people probably may not fully understand some of this stuff, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to make it simple. There are cases where someone is caught in a fault. So, or overtaken by a fault. There's a weakness in their life, they just can't control it right. And they weaken and they are not walking with God and they haven't been, been prayerful and they have neglected time with the Lord and suddenly that weakness comes up and takes them by the throat. Every one of you has weaknesses in your, in your life. Only God knows some of them. Not even your wife knows them. Not even your family knows them. Every human being has a weakness they're born with. At least a few of them. We're just being real here. As long as you're walking with God strong, that weakness is submitted, it's shriveled, it's, it's, it's under control, it doesn't show up, it has no, no space to move. But if you're not walking with, with the Lord and you're neglecting time with God and neglecting time with His Word and, and not going to church and being around believers, that weakness will show up, I promise you. It'll actually show up real strong and fast and it'll, it'll grab you by the throat. In a second. And you'll almost feel like you're not saved. It's just a fact. And there are men who have been taken or overcome by a fault. Now, do these people cease to be born again? No. Why? Because the Bible says they can be restored. You, you, you cannot be born and unborn. I'm not talking here about apostasy. When I was young, two, two chapters scared the lights out of me. Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10. They scared me. If you taste the power of the world to come and, and you follow it, it's over for you, basically. It used to scare me. So I'm listening one day to Catherine Kuhlman talk about it on radio. And she made a little mistake, you know, and had to apologize on radio. Because it's a tough one to talk about sometimes. Especially back then on radio. With all the, all the stuff noise going on can hear everything she was saying. I have read commentaries after commentaries after comment. I've talked to every man of God that you can imagine about this. Jack Hayford, one and Oral and the rest, all of them. Tell me about Hebrews 6. Hebrews 10, tell me. And they all said, they're talking about falling away. Now, a lot of us don't understand why that book was written. Some of you young people will read Hebrews eventually, I hope you, you already have. Now, now, pay attention. This will help you. The book of Hebrews was, was written to Jewish believers. When a Jewish believer got saved, 
he was cut off. Now, in the early days of the church, I won't spend much time on this. In the early days of the church, Jews were, uh, who were saved, that is, Jewish believers, were, were members of the synagogues. They, they were accepted by, by Judaism as Jews. Under Roman law, Jews were protected. The Roman authorities allowed the Jews to practice their religion with protection. They were not looked upon as a sect by the Romans. Okay? Even though Rome demanded that you worship the emperor, they gave the Jews permission not to worship the emperors, but to worship as they wanted to. So anyone who was Jewish had freedom to worship. They had synagogues throughout the Roman Empire. No one else could, but the Jews did. All right? Now, in the early church, when the church began to grow slowly, the authorities of Israel allowed those early believers to remain Jews. Eventually, they began to say no to them. And it really was shown clearly when Stephen was stoned, was killed. Then they turned against them, and they looked upon the early believers as a sect, as a cult. Therefore, they lost the protection, not only of the authorities of Judaism, but the Roman authorities. They were looked upon as outsiders, as a sect, and opened to persecution. They became targets, basically, to be persecuted. That's why they took James and killed him later, and they took... Uh, Peter and imprisoned him because they lost their protection. So for a Jew to be saved meant the loss not only of protection, but your family could not help you or anyone even hire you because anyone who would help you would also be punished and be thrown out of the synagogue. To be thrown out of a synagogue back then was not like being thrown out of church today. To be thrown out of a, out of a, a synagogue means no protection by the authorities. Nobody would hire you, feed you, help you, clothe you, or shelter you. Because anyone who did would be punished by being thrown out. Today they can, kick out, you know, they can kick you out of a church and nothing happens to you. But back then, if you were kicked out of the synagogue as a Jew, it meant you were an outsider, homeless for the rest of your life. You're going to die on the, on the streets. Nobody would feed you. Nobody would give you shelter. Because if they did, they would also throw them out. And throwing them out means no protection by Rome. Or the Jewish authorities. Nobody can hire you, feed you. You will lose everything. So the early believers began looking backward because they saw the price they were paying. I'm talking about the believing Jews. They began to, to look at, maybe I should go back. Maybe I should leave the Christian faith and go back to being a Jew so I can at least have something to eat. That's why it was written to say, ah, Jesus is better. That's why it begins by a warning in Hebrews 2.2. If they disobeyed Moses, they paid. Don't you dare disobey the gospel. It was talking to Jewish people. That message is repeated throughout the entire book. A warning. Don't walk back. Stick with it. Stay with it. Don't give up. It's throughout the whole book. That's the reason for Hebrews 11. Look what happened to them. Don't you dare walk away. 
We have a cloud of witnesses. No, no, you can't walk away. Look, they had to pay more and heavily for it. Some of them in caves, some of them killed and, and persecuted for the faith, and they didn't give up because they sought by faith. And that's the whole book. So what was that falling away? Apostasy. Going away. Walking back. Leaving the faith. Leaving Jesus because you wanted food and shelter. That's the whole book of Hebrews. I just gave it to you. So when someone is taken with a fault, it's a big difference. Big difference if you walk away from the faith knowing what you're doing and why you're doing it. So a lot of people say, well, yeah, but he's living in sin because he has a weakness. The Bible says they can't be restored. Big difference between apostasy and weakness. Because God can deliver you from that weakness. He can restore if you repent. So the question is asked, do they lose life eternal? No, because it's a gift. Eternal life is a gift. Do they lose the Holy Spirit? No, because he abides forever. Look at the way the Corinthians church lived. They lived in sin. Awful acts of sin, in fact. If you read First and Second Corinthians, you think, dear Lord, they had troubles. Yet they were told, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Think about the problems they faced. What struggles they had. Fights in communion and getting drunk during communion. Fornication in the church. Division and on and on and on. Yet they were told, temple of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because they did not lose the blessed presence of the Holy Spirit. What Paul was saying to them is, repent. Did they lose heaven? No. A weakness does not cause you to lose heaven. Because Colossians 1.12, I know I'm getting a lot of interest out there too on social media about this. It said, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That's a promise of God. Repentance. That's the message of the Bible. If you're taken, overtaken in a, in a fault, repent. And if you repent, God will forgive you and restore you. Quite simple. But here are the consequences if you don't repent. If you don't repent. Consequence number one, your communion with God will be broken. Your fellowship with God becomes impossible until you repent. And until you repent, there'll be no fellowship with God and no communion and no relationship. No communion. Because now there's been an interruption of divine communion. It's a very serious matter. God does not cut you off. You, you don't cease to be his. The first thing that's going to happen to you is communion with God is broken. Fellowship is broken. And that's serious. Why is it serious? Because it will stop you from growing. Not only do you lose the peace and joy, 
you lose your growth because communion with God keeps you growing and no communion stops you growing. Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Talks about growth. Renewal is growth. When you stop growing, you look backwards and it begins, that world begins to pull you back very speedily. And there's a danger there because if you don't repent, you can end up dismissed because it's all about cooperation. The Bible says if you harden your neck, you'll be cut off without remedy. So I don't believe in predetermination. I believe in predestination. Predestination means you have a job to do. You have to follow. You have to obey. You have to cooperate. God will not pull you in without you saying yes and follow. The other thing that will, will, will happen is your power of service is destroyed. Meaning, you cannot minister to anyone else. For how can you minister liberty if you are bound? You cannot give to others what you don't have. If someone is living in sin and has not repented, not only do you lose communion with God, you lose service for God. Then you're playing the piano and singing is a sin. Is unaccepted in the sight of God. You are giving what you don't have. You're lying about it, frankly. That's serious with God. Now, here's something that I think is really frightening. That's what Paul the Apostle talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. And that's something I think about a lot. Because sin without repentance has a very heavy price in the next life. If you, if you don't repent, you're not, just not, you're, you're not just losing communion and the, the ability to minister to others. Here's what Paul says. Let me talk. Let, let, let him talk rather than me right now. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I'm reading 1 Corinthians 3.11. Let, let, let me keep reading. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it or reveal it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work for what sort it is. If a man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burnt, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved yet as by fire. Now, what this says is, Jesus is the foundation. The materials that people build on the foundation are their deeds, their acts. Now, when I got saved, I thought this talked about preachers. Preachers. No, that's not talking about preachers. Because it talks about every man's work, not preachers' work. And the Bible says we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 
the judgment seat means we're going to be judged for every word we spoke in this life. Jesus said that too. So on that day when you see the Lord, yes, you'll get in by the skin of your teeth if you are not careful today. Because you lose your rewards. And whatever you've built on that foundation, and here it says gold or silver or precious stones or whatever you built, which is your deeds and acts in this life, all will be tried by fire. So if I don't repent and if you don't repent today, you are destroying your tomorrow. You're destroying your eternal destiny and where you're going to end up. Oh, yes, you'll get in all right. With what? Honor or shame? Eternal shame. For the Bible says that we might not be ashamed on that day. I think about that all the time. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Some will be rejected to be first. They may be last. And those who nobody cared about may be first because they did the job right on this, in this life. We have a lot of catching up to do, saints. I do and you do because we messed up a whole bunch of stuff back in our life. We better run right now, not walk. Walking is over. Now time is to run and catch up with what we've messed up. Catch up with God. Do it today before it's too late. And the same warning that the writer to the Hebrews gave in Hebrews 2, verse 2 and 3, I'm going to give you. If the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received the just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. It's a very serious matter. Gregor, I need you on the instrument, please. And there's something else I believe. Not only will, will that individual lose eternally, but he may lose his life today. He may die before his time. If you really read carefully preachers of the gospel here, if you read carefully, you sweet people of God, 1 Corinthians 11, and, and you see what Paul is telling the church, for this cause many are asleep. Many are sick and asleep. And then he says, if we would judge ourselves, we will not be judged with the world. So sometimes... David, God takes people home so they won't be judged with the world. He takes them before their time to, to, to rescue them from judgment that's coming upon the world. If we would judge ourselves, we will not be judged on that day. And I think not discerning the Lord's body has a lot more to do than just communion. I think it's dismissing the work of Calvary. As unimportant in my life. 
to do the spite to the spirit of grace in Hebrews uh, chapter 10 has to do with apostasy. Walk away from the faith and not, not care about it. We taste the power of the world to come and then we walk away. That's apostasy. And that is possible too, by the way. That is possible too. Because some have walked away. Demoth, Demas has left me having loved this present world. It says so in the Bible. Was he predestined to be in? Of course he was in. He, 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 he ministered to Paul the apostle. Don't tell me Demas uh, himself was not in the kingdom. But he walked away. Having loved this There is no turning back for us. But there's a beautiful promise that I've so loved in the scriptures. I so love this beautiful promise in God's word. God says in Ezekiel 18 something so powerful. <clears throat> and I'm done with this. The soul that sins will die. The son will not bear the, the iniquity of the father, neither will the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous will not, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from his sin that he has committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he will live, he shall not die. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? But when the righteous turns away from his righteousness, like Demas says, and others are doing today, and commits iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations of the wicked, shall he live? All his righteousness that he had done shall not be mentioned. Think about that. A man can lose everything he has ever done for God that was right. If they don't repent, everything they've done is forgotten. All the good things, forgotten. In his trespass, in his sin, he shall die. But, I love this one. When the wicked, verse 27, when the wicked man turns away from his wickedness that he has committed and doeth that which is lawful and right, he will save his soul alive because he considered. And that's what I want to see tonight, that you would consider. Because he considered and turned away from his transgression that he has committed. He shall surely live he shall not die. So there are people that are listening to me around the world and maybe in this room that have been living as they should not live. And you know who you are because your communion with God has been broken. Your service for God is empty. Your joy and peace are gone. You're damaging your tomorrow. It's time to say no more, no more and come to 
Jesus and repent. Come unto Jesus. Give him your life today. Real gentle on the piano. I'm going to ask people here today, maybe uh, for the first and last time. If you want to make things right with God, I want you to get, get up out of your seats. Because I've been talking to some of you here tonight through this message. If things are not right, you can make them right tonight. If you want to make things right with God, I'm going to have you stand up and come and kneel here and make things right with the Lord tonight before it's too late for your soul. Do it now. Everyone else, lift your hands and pray out loud in the Spirit for them. I want to hear you pray. You've just heard a teaching I brought on the consequences of sin. And I'm so glad that the Lord led me to teach this because it's important to know what the Bible says about it. And thank you for being my wonderful partner and my wonderful family. And I'm going to ask you again today to give to the Lord's work. Help me do what God has called me to do. Help me continue going to the world. I'm on my way in the next few days to Israel. I go from there to Italy. I go from there to Portugal to minister. And uh, thousands of people are waiting in uh, Italy and in Portugal. In Israel, I'm going to do programming, by the way, that you will see and be a part of. And I'm looking forward to going back to the Holy Land. And I'm going to take your prayer requests with me. I want to take your prayer requests with me. Make sure to send me your prayer requests today, please. We leave just in the next few days to go back to Israel. I've not been to the Holy Land since 2019 because of COVID. Now things are open. Thank God we're able to travel. So go ahead and send me your prayer request and also sow a seed that uh, is generous so God can bless you. For it says in the scriptures, if we sow sparingly, we stay there. We don't go in higher. We, we reap sparingly. If, if we sow bountifully, we reap bountifully. And I think the time has come to increase our faith and giving because of the tremendous move of God that's coming to the world. And in that move, there will be prosperity unknown in the body of Christ to finance the last revival on earth. The last amazing move that's coming. And it most certainly is coming. So I want you to give today. As you send your prayer requests, go ahead and sow seed in the Lord's work. And be watching this week for special teachings I'll bring to you. But right now, let's give to the Lord's work. And Lord, I thank you for your people as they give, as they sow into your work. Bless them. Honor them as they honor you. Increase them on every side, Lord. I pray everything they touch will increase and multiply and prosper. In Jesus' glorious name. And God's people said, Amen and Amen. 
Go ahead, you can give right now on the platform you're watching me on. You can give by going to our website, benin.org, or simply text. The information is on the screen for you. I've just finished actually uh, going live, and uh, that's why I'm all dressed up like uh, when I minister. But most times I'm a little casual here, you know, somewhat casual. But go ahead and give right now. And watch what God will do with you. Your business will grow and multiply. Your family will be blessed as you remain faithful in giving to the Lord. A faithful man will abound with blessings. God love you, and I'll see you tomorrow for another powerful day and a great week for all of us. And Jesus is Lord. Amen.